in brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power, oranges lust and blues you can trust, indigos feel and white ones heal, yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 540. Green Lantern War Journal number three. Into the Wild. I do like the cover of this one. The, yeah, the cover's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, there's precedent in the issue set for zombified wildlife, wildlife, but not to the extent we're seeing here. Uh, but it still looks pretty badass. <laughs> yeah. It, re- it reminds me of what... Uh, what uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson said some, in some interview somewhere about how, like, from here on, this book is basically going to be Predator. <laughs> All right. Should we get into it then? Sure. Green Lantern War Journal number three, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Montos, colors by Adriana Lucas, and letters by Dave Sharp. The title of this issue is Sinking In. John Stewart is still attempting to save the train from the Radiant Dead, but the infection is already starting to overwhelm him. According to Varen, lanterns are especially vulnerable to the Radiant Dead, and the more John uses his powers, the faster the infection will spread. John is saved by Lantern, Sh- by Lantern Shepherd, who takes him and his mother back to Steelworks to get the medical attention. Shepard is thoroughly unimpressed with our version of John and is ready to abandon him in favor of going out into space and just finding the Green Lantern Corps instead. The argument between John and Shepard is interrupted when the voice within Shepard's ring makes itself known. Kyle Rayner, or rather the soul of the Kyle Rayner of Shepard's universe, helps John to see that he has to step up and handle this situation himself instead of leaving it to someone else since he is ultimately the Revenant Queen's target. John's greatest fear is that if he leaves again, or if he dies, then his mother will be all alone. But those fears are balanced by Kyle's words. If he does nothing, if he stays by her side, the Radiant Dead will continue to spread across the world, and they'll both die anyway. So John begrudgingly says his goodbyes and heads off to battle. Good job, Dan. I know. (laughs) That, that's why Jim lets you do that Mosaics podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, art looks great, as always. Did did, did um, Shepard always, like, is he in the Big Bird construct, or did he turn into the construct? I think he was riding inside of it. Okay. Because it looks like it's, a, it's dissolving around him. Yeah, okay. Also, we get his, his whole name... It's a lantern. Yeah, I, I don't know if you say it's a, it. What is it? Healing. Healing. Yeah, it's okay. Celtic. It's I, I looked it up. I think it's pronounced Keelan. Okay, Keelan Shepherd. Neat. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting on the internal voice being Kyle. I think that was one of the options we threw out just because 
we had seen a Kyle in the other universe story that we got during whatever the hell that story was uh, during dark crisis, dark crisis worlds without a justice league green lantern or something like that. Something like yes. that. Yes. Yep. Yep, yep. yep. Oh, and I think in the, the backups in the Hal book, other guy mentioned like, Oh, Rainer sent you to me kind of thing. So like, I mean, the implication fr- from what the, the way they talk about it in this book is that, I guess Shepard inherited Kyle's ring because Kyle is dead and his soul is forever bonded to this. Like, what is it called? Like the space between moments, which is a terrifying concept. It's like, okay, you know, you're going to devote your whole life to the core. And then when you die, your soul will be eternally attached, like trapped here. So you can, you know, keep doing Green Lantern stuff and helping your uh, successors. Yeah, he says the souls of the fallen lanterns are bound to this place so we can continue to serve those who follow us. Lucky for you. Okay. So, so uh, kind of so kind of like um maybe kind of like their version of that place Hal went before or when he was forging his own ring like when he died, remember when he saw Tomar again and all of them? I th- if I'm remembering like in right. Diddy's run. Yeah, you're right. I almost forgot about that, but you're right. If I'm if I'm remembering right, like they kind of talked about it as if like as if like he was entering the will part of the spectrum or something like like Green Lantern Heaven is like like you're so willful that when you die, you you just it's like a Jedi going to the force. I was just going to say that it's like the Jedi is like the Green Lantern version of Jedi spirits that that except apparently this apparently in in that universe like your only criteria i guess for becoming one is just being being a green lantern which of course is what we used to think that was true for jedi too before we had prequels (laughs) yeah although but this this feels more like like this feels more bad though like this like i something i hadn't really thought about until this is that like in Shepard's universe, the green lanterns are kind of like they, they're, they kind of have the vibe of almost a religious order that worships John. And that seems the existence of the space between moments and how it uses the souls of the dead kind of make it seem like, okay, they're, they're cool with this because it, it's part of their belief structure kind of thing. Like they've drunk the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true because it, it, it certainly doesn't seem like there's any choice in this. It's like, it's obligatory. It's like, it's like it's something you sign up for. And it's like, you're signing up for the long haul. <laughs> so something interesting that Kyle says, because we have to take his dream sequences reality because Kyle is guiding him through this while he's kind of in his own thing. Uh, and I don't see any reason why this is not the exact same Kyle we we see, quote unquote, see later. Um, but he says, um, you don't need to tell me what war looks like. Since you came home, you've been telling yourself someone else will handle it. Superman, Wonder Woman, Hal, anyone else, right? Look down at that va- in that valley and face the truth. If you don't stop this thing, no one will. Okay, this thing referring to the Radiant Dead and everything that's going on, but he's saying since you came home, you've been telling yourself someone else will handle it. He didn't know of the Radiant Dead when he came home. So what is the it someone else will handle? Just anything, being a hero and yeah. doing what needs to be done and, and and him abandoning his place in the heroic community and uh, and not living up to his power and potential? 
Yes. Okay. Because think about like what a because um uh Phil Philip Kennedy Johnson has been saying all along that he's approaching John's relationship to all of this. Uh, like you know he's he's gonna have John start thinking about being a Green Lantern the same way he thought about being a soldier. You know he did his time. He put he served his tour of duty and he's done now so it's somebody else's turn you know and realistically if you were a superhero in the the dc universe and you would know like all of the people that would be there to step up if you weren't around so like i don't know in in a world that has like superman and the flash and a whole bunch of other lanterns like all i i wouldn't really necessarily think the world would be that less that much unsafer this sentence is terrible you know what i'm trying to say (laughs) roughly yeah but yeah john basically like he like we've been talking about the whole time he he wants to live a different life and the only way he really can do that is if he believes that he's not essential to holding everything together hmm Good, uh, some more touching stuff. I like that they devoted not just a page, but a page and a double page spread to his moment with his mom. That's good characterization. I like that. Like, I know that we talk about the action and stuff like that, but every now and then, like, I talk about, like, those moments that we would get of Kyle and Radu's or whatever and stuff like yeah. that. Like, I, this is not as casual, but, um, you know, this didn't have to be three pages let alone a double page spread of this moment um so there's uh lots of attention to detail there with uh making sure they i don't know if they close that loop maybe i'm sure we'll come back to her at some point but um yeah i'd almost argue that ever since they made these superpowers be literally made of emotions these kinds of moments became more important Mm -hmm. Like, like the emotional state of the protagonists speak directly to what they can and can't do with their abilities. So like it, it it's a wonderful tool to deliver a, a character driven story where it does not feel like the personal stuff is separate from the exciting super stuff. Like I remember a time when I was younger, like when, back when I first started getting into comics, I was like 10 or 11 or something where like after I would read a new issue of Green Lantern, I would go back in and I would like count how many times Kyle uses ring for stuff. And if that number was too low, I would be disappointed because or like or like if there was an issue where it was mostly Kyle in regular street clothes talking to people and he didn't suit up until like the last page, I would feel ripped off because like, oh, man, I wanted to see cool superpowers or whatever. But now, like, if I get an issue that's all of that, like, all costumes and powers and whatever, and doesn't have some, like, a scene like this, that's when I'm going to feel like, well, this was kind of light. I don't I don't know. It feels like something important was missing. Yeah. Mark? I did like this issue. Uh, like you like you mentioned earlier, the, the, art, the art is really good. I still get... A- I still get a lot of Sotomayat vibes off of Shepard, even though he does kind of seem to have a little, a little more bad attitude, but maybe again, that's could be partially because of the, the mission and the importance of the mission. And of course there is that element of potential arrogance because he is supposed to be really good at what he does. 
I did like the, you know, the, the, the steel stuff was good. I like the steel stuff too. The fact that, uh, steel was, was not the, the way he, he was not going to let John see his mom at first because he, they didn't really understand the infection and they didn't really have a grasp of what was going on with it. So they didn't want to run the risk of it spreading and things like that. So that was a, that was a realistic, that was a realistic, uh, approach to the situation too, even though it was obviously a difficult thing for, for, for steel to, to have to tell John and the reason and have the natural reaction. I actually liked, I also liked the beginning, the conversation between Varen and John where you get, which is, an, which is, you know, it's an interesting take because it is, uh, Somewhat obviously Black Lantern like because of the fact that obviously Varen remembers things and remembers his previous life. He's not just a zombified version, just being mindless. So I did, I did like the conversation between him and that and John. And again, Varen being a, being this big obstacle now and being, being the, a borderline bane of, uh, John's existence here, at least for a while is, I think is kind of cool considering the beginning of their relationship. It's it's cool. It's it's thought provoking and it makes you look forward to where they go where they go with this next. So I think it's I think the pacing is pretty good on this so far. So I think first few issues of this book, the first three issues, I think as a whole are very good. Yeah, the Varen conversation on the first page did something I thought was pretty cool, and it's one of those moments where I want to call it out because it's it's a thing that you can't really do in a whole lot of other mediums and kind of think like you can, but like comics does it better where you kind of get a, a better feel for who Varen is as a person based on both the sentence structure of his word balloons and the font choice, because he said he's talking about himself. And when he said, when he called, refers to himself as a green lantern, it's just green lantern Varen. Where, you know, the Green Lantern title is before his name. Everything's the same size. It kind of de-emphasizes the importance of him as an individual. The the important thing about that signifier is that he is a part of the Green Lantern Corps. And then he refers to himself as Varen of the Radiant Dead. Like, his name is more than double the size of the rest of the text. And it is in front of of the group that he is a part of like it just it hits home that like he sees himself as above any group that would have him and it's it like it's kind of just it's just reinforcing what we already knew but it's kind of like painting this like really clear picture of who he is and how he sees everyone else around him it's a visual text trick to kind of let him say the quiet part out loud without having to like explain it yeah cutting back to the steel moment real quick it's interesting that when steel comes in the door john says steel where's my mother is she and then why are you in your armor steel answers everything except that last question why are you in your armor and i love that it's almost obvious enough like they didn't even have to put a read steelworks issue whatever um so yeah that's that's kind of cool um because um, i think that just wrapped up right because that was a six issue many that they just they just finished that i think so um, and um also just to point out uh, before we finish up our thoughts on this one 
Uh, Kyle saying to John, I won't let, I won't lie to you, John. I don't know if you can survive this. Only one person in the multiverse ever has. And for all your gifts, you're not him, not yet. So I'm assuming the other person who survived this was John in the other universe. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me wonder how many universes the Radiant Dead have, uh, washed over. Yeah, that's true. I'm still curious how it all connects to Dark Stars, if there's any correlation whatsoever. Um, But I don't remember much about the Dark Stars, the OG Dark Stars. Yeah. So what do we think about about John's observation that the Radiant Dead infection basically is turning living bodies into constructs? I mean, it seems to be proven at the end of the end of the book. Right. Yeah. I mean, that snake and those those leopards and the, those people, those all seem to be they all look like constructs. Yeah. Even more, there. even even more so than Varen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Varen looks to be like it looks like 50 50. Yeah. The, the the places where his, his actual skin and flesh meet the parts of him that are becoming constructs seem to be burning off. So. Well, those are actually those are. uh. Those are the limbs that were torn off by Shepard's bird. Hmm. Well, regardless, the pieces that are not constructs are Varen. On Varen seem to be the the pieces that are not constructs that are touching construct seem to be smoking. So. Yeah. Seems to be kind of the case with like the snake too. Um. Yeah. So. Okay. I I would say he's right based on this final page. Any thoughts on the idea that, that uh, green lantern light amplifies and feeds the light of the radiant dead. Hmm. The light of the radiant dead can consume any form of light, but it favors lantern. Okay. I wonder if it's, if it says anything like inherently factual about the nature of the power, or if that is, because of the preference of the person using it, because it's all it's it's the Revenant Queen who we know has a vendetta against John. And here's Varen who fucking hates John. So I like I wonder if like it's it's uh, it has the those properties because of who's using it. I think we need to learn more about the Radiant Dead powers and how it correlates to what we know about Dark Stars. Uh, because it does say it favors lanterns and our light is amplified by your own. It doesn't specifically narrow or focus in on willpower. Just lanterns. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So I wonder if it's maybe like the dark stars in John's universe are like the violet lantern, not the violet lanterns, the ultraviolet lanterns. Well, the first, the further we get into this, the more convinced I am that it's going to be ultraviolet lanterns. Yeah, because like this issue, like when John's talking to his mom, he just straight up starts listing all of the repressed negative emotions that he's been struggling with since coming home. (laughs) And then we get Varen, who starts talking about himself in the context of of out of control, like pride and and all this and like narcissism and like and if it was ultraviolet then it would it's literally we're literally taking John's internal conflict and making it 
external and physical because the only way he would break he could like overcome the infection is by like coming to terms with the things that he's currently struggling with i mean that's true because if we look at this a little bit deeper and i'm not trying to draw anything out or anything but i just to building on what you just said shoot where did the thing go i'm just trying to find it here the revenant queen didn't come here for them or us or the core she came for you because of what another john stewart did to her so you know we we already kind of knew that but maybe not in the in so many words um so she has something she's not letting go of and then varen says i long to punish you for our last meeting i prayed for a way to hurt you uh so he has something that he's not letting go of but it can't be just john obviously like that was his most recent humiliation this dude's a pile of shit so he's <laughs> and he's been longing to break out of his family shadow and all this for a long time um so those are the things that the two individuals we've seen of the radiant dead uh who are wielding it ongoing they're clearly not letting go of something but then you have to like what about the leopards and the snakes and the indigenous people and and stuff like that so like um uh but at least there's there's a case to be made for what you just said yeah yeah, yeah. it's like you're what she she is weaponizing her own internal negativity and lashing out against others with it and infecting them and drawing theirs out too right and he says i tried to be as good as you to his mom i tried to be as good as you and i'm just not i'm not but i will not let those things hurt you again so he's still under the impression that he's not as good as her or whatever um and uh, he may have acknowledge that but clearly he hasn't yet let it go yeah and and to be fair john has overcome the ultraviolet light like this before but kind of the interesting about thing about it is that it's not like that's going to make it go away like it's not like it's not like by by coming to terms with your problems now you're never going to experience these kinds of feelings ever again no. It's it's just part of part was, of human nature. Was that Bendis? Uh, no, that was um. Oh God, who wrote it? Somebody else who has a penchant for writing like novels on every page of dialogue. It was the it was the just it was like the Justice Doomore writer. I forget. Oh, I can look it up. Yeah, Mark, did you ever read any of that Justice League? Uh, when Justice League started up when it, the ultraviolet lantern crap was happening in like the first six issues or whatever. No, I don't think I actually did read any of that. I James, James Tinian. Yeah. I started reading it um, just to try and understand what was happening. And frankly, one, it didn't suck me in enough, which was, you know, its own thing, but also it was so goddamn wordy that I was just like, I can't, I, I don't know. This is a chore to read this book. Uh, it's not like I don't have a problem. Like, you know, I've got bookshelves upon bookshelves upon bookshelves of novels in this in this apartment. Uh, I don't mind long form stuff. But for some reason, when a comic book page is just half word bubble, <laughs> it it drives me insane. Um, so I just couldn't focus on it. But I, I do remember that. Didn't, Dan, didn't you touch on that? You're, you're what, like 98 percent sure this is ultraviolet? I I am. I am 
like right now i i'm pretty much convinced it like it could still end up being something else but if that's the case then there's lots of coincidences happening yeah so it's ultraviolet it just calls itself dark stars in the civic universe somehow okay the dark star angle might be explained by whoever the hell the revenant queen is like it could be marin you know that, I, I don't that's know. yes that's what i was thinking at because i listened to myron and phil's episode talking about it and they they didn't mention marin and i was like oh you know i messaged myron i was like you forgot about marin uh and yeah i've been thinking that same ever since the thing that's throwing me is that they were never married but maybe they were in the other universe like part of me wants to go through dark stars and just look for any instance where where like there's a wedding or there's like so, like anything like that because well it's not just dark stars it's also the amount of time she appeared during the kyle rayner run because she was a fixture we haven't seen her in what 20 years oh i mean pretty much right if yeah. if the if if uh jeff johns's stuff started around 2005 ish it's 2003 marin stopped showing up maybe a couple a year or so before the book ended so it's been about 20 years hasn't it yeah i guess so god that's a long time <laughs> yeah all right well got some stuff to pay attention to for the next issue and we've got theories abounding kicking up for this uh for this series so uh, now we have just as much to follow and look forward to and try and pick apart with uh, this series as we do with the main the main series. <laughs> yeah, and I will say if anybody is curious about the ultraviolet lantern stuff that preceded this or possibly this, uh, j- you just have to read Justice League Volume One: The Totality. Or watch whatever video Dan made that he talked or, about. Or watch John Stewart: A hist- uh, The Legacy of a Fatal Mistake on mosaic comics <laughs> um but yeah there's there's honestly there's there is a lantern thing that happens at the end of the story that i have never been able to make sense of like earth becomes a white lantern for a f- few minutes and i don't know why or what that means <laughs> like john drove a race car powered by the speed force around the planet really fast a few times and then the planet had a huge white lantern symbol on it for some reason and i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> Looks like 2004 might have been the last time we saw Marin. Yeah, so nearly 20 years. Last time we saw her, she was like getting a job with the DEO. So like they like there's so many ways that she could. Come I mean, back. and the DEO has been playing a factor lately. I mean, not in our universe, not in 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 the Radiant Dead's original universe, but was it like what? What's the Bones guy? What's his name? Director, Director Bones. Bones. Yeah, and they were all working for the DEO and stuff like that. So like whatever uh but yeah she was a big part of dark stars um yes they weren't married she was there when john was crippled and came back and when he got a ring for a little while she she was there for a good like a good bit of both series both dark stars and kyle's run so yeah uh to have not seen her in 20 years it would be a good callback especially if this power is somehow linked to dark stars yeah well we'll find out soon enough i mean ba- based on like and there was nothing spoilery but the solicitations are up through issue six and they call mm. that the end of the first arc so i have to think we're going to to learn something of substance about some of this stuff by then 
it also makes it sound like this is an ongoing series, which I don't even remember why we thought it wasn't. So, hey, good. Well, I mean, he himself specifically said he wasn't sure. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Are we done with the issue itself? I think so. Good issue. Yes. Good issue. Good issue. I can't wait to see how this all looks in uh, in trade form, because frankly, yeah, I just the art has been really great issue by issue, really seeing uh, Matos's work uh, on on display in a full issue format instead of those backups. But the backups were almost like honestly just as great. So uh, I can't wait till we see all this stuff together, uh, backups included uh, in one one format. I think this will be a fun read like that. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta say thus far, it feels like we're getting more with the exception of maybe last issue of this series. I feel like we're getting more per issue. Uh, and that's obviously we're only three issues in, that's not a whole lot to say, but I feel like we're getting more per issue in the, in terms of actual plot than green lantern more action, at least. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. No, I think that I think we'd have to go back, obviously, and do an apples to apples three to three comparison. But I think I think you're right. I think I think we are getting more reveals and they're moving the plot along much faster per capita in this book than than. I mean, we've gotten so much stuff that's been drawn out in the actual Green Lantern book. And even and even now, we're just, you know, we're only going to get big reveals like next next issue with. So, well, the biggest difference is that in the Hal book. We have a protagonist that knows everything, but is keeping secrets from the audience versus in the John book. There is mystery, but we're learning it with the protagonist. So like the two stories feel very different. And it's I don't know it it, it feels like information is being withheld from us in the Hal book versus here where we're on a journey of discovery. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is this stupid ad for uh, Titans Beast World. I don't care about events anymore right now, DC, to be completely honest with you. I've been reading the Nightwing series for a while now, and uh, it's been fantastic. It's at the top of my to read pile. So I started naturally reading Titans when it started releasing its own series again. And I think there is up to like issue three or something, uh, three or four. But the fact that they're already going into this Beast World thing and it's going to be so tied into this new Titan series, I'm dropping Titans now. I loved reading Titans, but then they immediately turned it into a massive crossover event, and I'm going to have to just go back to only reading Nightwing now, and I'm disappointed in DC for that. So, I haven't checked out Titans yet. I want to because it's because I agree with you. Nightwing is fantastic and. This is also written by the same guy. So, yep. like, I'm I am very much. Of a mind that, like, I'm I'm never going to feel obligated to read everything, you yeah. know, like if I'm going to read Titans Beast World, I'm just going to read Titans Beast World. I don't care about unless there's a tie in that is amazing or something then uh, you know whatever who cares as far as i'm concerned titans beast world is just a six or whatever issue long cool titans thing by tom taylor and that's kind of all i'm going to let it be and yvonne hayes which is a plus but yes or ivan reese or no it's ivan hayes 
Okay. Yeah, I, I I looked up like, hey, wait a second, where's where's he actually from? Oh, okay, okay. How do they how do you pronounce this in that place? Oh, okay, so yeah, it is Evan Hayes. Uh, all right, all right. I guess our next topic tonight is going to be that the Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths Part One of Three, the directed DVD, uh, direct to home video, I guess we're calling it. Uh, animated film. Uh, they dropped a official trailer. Sla- they call it the official trilogy trailer. So I'm not sure if everything we've seen in this is going to be just in part one, or if they're giving us really quick glimpses of everything um, uh, from each of the parts. But this is supposedly the the i mean it is the next film in the tomorrowverse franchise of the dc animated universe which started with DC, uh, superman man of tomorrow went into justice society world war Two, uh batman long halloween part one and two's adaptations uh green lantern Boob, where my power which we've talked about on the show the legion of superheroes movie uh, and the recent Justice League War World movie that uh, came out. Um, the other movies that came out in between then uh, are standalones like Injustice and the Doom that came to Gotham and so on and so forth. Um, but this is the next in the line here. So um, I guess my first question is, I, we know I have. Have you guys been keeping up with the animated universe and more specifically the Tomorrowverse? I've only seen the Green Lantern one and the justice society so far but i i've heard good things basically about all of them so i'd like to catch up mark i have not seen all of them i watched i watch whichever catches my eye i've been i've been this close to starting that war world thing multiple times over the last month jsa is good but i have not but i have not pulled the i have not pulled the trigger on that actually ironically you know i don't know what compelled me to do this but i watched I did watch the uh, Reign of the Superman movie again the other night. I don't know why I felt compelled to do this. Uh, not that I disliked it the first time. I didn't. It's you know obviously it's not really the story, but they, they it's not a, it's not horrible other than the fact that Darkseid's in it. But I just felt compelled to revisit it, and I didn't want to watch the Doomsday part. But so I I am somewhat interested in this. I I must admit I am kind of crisis on Infinite Earths out. Because I think we've gotten so so much of that and so many references to that over the past few years between the the, the WB thing and and obviously the the, the modern day classic which is Dark Crisis. That, uh, <laughs> I, I I beat you to it, Dan. I beat you to it. I'm just glad you got it in there. Oh uh, yes, now I can die a happy man. I thought the trailer was okay. It didn't it didn't bowl me over or anything. So, but I but I I would certainly suspect that it's something on on max that i will watch so yeah i'm excited for it um i know the trailer doesn't show i mean it's it's more let's be honest it's more clip and teaser than anything um but it was interesting seeing some of the characters in there i think i saw buona beast in the background of one of them um obviously like uh, some key characters like the ray and our man and stuff like that uh john stewart's clearly in there but notably jade is in a couple of scenes yes, who we have not yet seen in the animated universe yeah she's in at least three shots in this trailer or two i think yeah she's one, really one strange crowd shot and one of her like using her powers yeah and like for all we know that could just be like oh she's part of the the ensemble to kind of to kind of flesh out like oh, the big group of heroes or whatever but 
I just love the fact that she's there. In one in my one of my favorite iterations of her costume. I do like that version. Yeah. I'm I'm excited for this because like yes, you you mentioned the CW thing and then we have all the multiverse stuff happening in both areas of the franchise various franchises right now in terms of Marvel versus DC. Um it's kind of everywhere right now, but this is OG crisis uh, supposedly. I mean obviously within the confines of the Tomorrow versus story constructs as opposed to like the CWs, but if anybody had the opportunity to straight up adapt crisis from page to screen as faithfully as humanly possible. It's the animated universe. And the fact that they're making it three parts, um, three full length parts. That's pretty cool. That tells me a lot right there in and of itself, despite what either animation style or clips or whatever of this trailer tells you, uh, viewers at home. Uh, the fact that they're devoting three parts to it is highly encouraging to me. Yeah. And I don't know how long it's going to take to put out all three. Like this just the only date put on this trailer is 2024. I don't know if that means part one is coming out next year or if they're going to get multiple parts out in the same um, year. Like I have no idea. So I go, I, I check this website uh, at least maybe once a month, every two months or so uh, once a month or every two months. Uh, I go to blu-ray.com and that's blue-ray.com and I click on the blu-ray section and I go to their release calendar and I just click next, next, next. And I scroll through each month as of right now, blu-ray.com is showing this series, the, the, uh, so this part one as coming out the week of January 23rd, 2024. Um, so it comes out, you know, just, you know, um, the same week new comics come out on on uh, Wednesdays, new movies come out on Tuesdays in terms of like physical releases to stores. And this is coming out the same week as some other stuff, uh, including <laughs> I'm just making this up. I'm, I'm not making it up. It's actually an actual thing, but I thought I'd say it as a joke. The Kitty's triple header, which is Maneater Gang's Last Order, Love Bitch and Confessions of a Slutty Wife. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why this Blu-ray.com includes like, hey, the smut is also coming out this same week if you want to get it on Blu-ray. <laughs> I mean, there's completists out there. <laughs> so uh, does it say when parts two and three of Crisis are coming out, Chad? <laughs> no, no, that's too far ahead. Um, If you... If you, I, I wasn't looking for that. If you, if you kick, uh, if you kick, hey, Rover Dangerfield from 1991 is getting a Blu-ray release that month. Um, Dear God. <laughs> um, but any, I get no respect. Uh, but yeah, the uh, when you go to Blu-ray.com, it kind of like uh, comic book solicits. If you kick it out more than a couple of months, uh, it doesn't tell you anything because it, you know, the further you go in the future, the less information it has. So as of right now, it's only telling me for part one and it's anticipating January 24th. I don't know where they get. It still says uh, it's releasing in 2024, but they specifically assigned it January 24th. And they typically are pretty right about this stuff. Cool. I kind of want to do what you did with with a was a long Halloween. I kind of want to watch all three of these together. I'm with you if it wasn't Crisis, because, yeah, like Long Halloween and some of these other adaptations, um, uh, like they also did with um, 
Death of Superman and Reign of the Superman, you know when they split these things into parts because it's happened every single time before, like with the Dark Knight Returns and and stuff like that. When they do these things in multiple parts, they'll release part one, part two, and then several months later, there's a single Blu-ray set that has both films in it. And it's it's just it's a pain in the ass but with three parts that spread apart and being crisis i don't know if i have ironically the willpower to wait for all three of them to be physically released and then wait even further for the box set to be released yeah we'll see though maybe maybe you can hold out chad maybe you can hold out maybe maybe and hey you know since it's crisis and everything maybe the uh those standalone one-off movies aren't going to be standalone one-offs. You know, they could come in if we're, if we're crossing over multiverse stuff. That's true. That's true. Um, I know there's some more stuff that's scheduled to come, um, but I think, yeah, they, they're, they're, they're going too far ahead with, uh, with crisis being three parts for them to have teased out what's coming after. So, but that's it. I just wanted to talk about it um, and, and, and the Jade stuff as well, um, because I'm excited for this. It's looking definitely something I'm looking forward to the, in the new year. Now, whether it'll make my top five list for movies I'm looking forward to, we'll see. <laughs> God, you know, this is probably this is just pie in the sky wishing, I, I guess. But like, what are the odds that if they're doing an animated crisis? Like, what do they could they bring in? other dc animated iterations yeah yes like i want to see i want to see jlu i want to see super friends justice league action dc superhero girls and i want them all in their proper art styles (laughs) i want you know what i want if anybody out there likes the ninja turtles and has not watched turtles forever which is literally crisis on infinite earths but ninja turtles where you got the the whatever the current cartoon version of the turtles was at the time met the the uh original 1980s version of the ninja turtles who then met the original comic book version of the Ninja Turtles and it was this big like we're going to blow up the multiverse plot or whatever the hell do that but with DC animated projects <laughs> They've already done it. They've done the goddamn Tiny Titans meeting the Teen Titans. Or not not Tiny Titans. What the hell is that show? Teen Titans Go meeting mm-hmm. Teen Titans. Like, and they looked right. Like, oh my God. This there's been happen. lots of there's been lots of crisis concepts. There's even been a crisis on infinite dark dark wings comic. <laughs> but anyways. Um yeah. So uh, look forward to that coming out next year, guys. At least the first part. Um so what's our next topic, Mark? Well, since I don't want to do a mini episode on my own about this, I want to talk about Napoleon. I will try to keep this relatively brief since I did see it on Sunday. As I told Jim, I was kind of I was dreading going to see this (laughs) because I had read all the reviews and I'd read the consistency of what they of what knowing what I was going to get when I went into this movie that I. So even though this movie I had to see it, though, when asked, it's like, well, if you were dreading it, why'd you go see it? I said, because. I'm a Napoleonic history buff. I've been into Napoleonic history since I was in elementary school. And, and sitting in this room as we talk, there's at least four Napoleonic prints hanging on the wall. So the reality is, if there's ever a target audience for this movie, it was me. But 
I I knew based on what it, even the trailers, the 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 mere fact that they were framing the whole thing in with Napoleon and Josephine, that I knew that was going to be a problem, especially because of the fact that Napoleon's life was too it was too it's too grand and too epic to do in a single movie to begin with. So if you're going to do that and you're choosing to focus on the on the on Napoleon and Josephine, you knew there was going to be a lot of important events in history that were not going to either be completely swept under the under the rug or they were going to be dealt with in such a ridiculously cursory fashion that it's it wasn't worth it i have to give some positives and they're not many but i would i would have to say some there are some positives to this and that there's some easy easy traps they could have fallen into with this movie that they didn't so number one they did not play up the myth but they didn't play up really at the aspect of napoleon being short when napoleon really wasn't short he was average height for his time as a Frenchman, he was average height, but the reality is the there was only one scene, arguably the sarcophagus scene in Egypt, that I think was supposed to be a ha 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 reference to at least the myth of him being short. But they didn't play that up in the movie, so I thought that was a plus. They did a surprisingly decent job in playing up the fact and talking about the fact, not playing up, talking about the fact that Napoleon was actively seeking peace the majority of the time he was in power. That he wasn't like, hey, let's conquer this, let's conquer that, let's take this. That the overwhelming majority of the Napoleonic, so-called Napoleonic wars were wars waged against Napoleon, that he had no choice but to fight because they were trying to first get rid of the French Republic and then get rid of, of the French Empire because he wasn't a divine right monarch. And the French, the, the all the gains and the, and the uh, uh, reforms of the French Revolution still existed even after Napoleon became emperor. So that's and those spread throughout Europe as he eventually conquered. So that Europe, all those powers of Europe wanted him gone. So they were constantly fighting that though Napoleon didn't really want to do this, but he didn't have much of a choice for, for the majority. Not not he's not guilt free in this. He did. And, the, and when he wasn't, he, made, he paid the price. Spain and Russia were the main ones that he was the aggressor in and they helped bring him down. And they did refer to him correctly as emperor of the French, not emperor of France. I thought that was a, a nice touch. That all being said, oh, there are so many, so many problems with this movie from a, they didn't even get Napoleon's birth year right in this movie. You know how easy it is to, to find out when, what year Napoleon was born in and they got it wrong. <laughs> That's not a good sign. Uh, they just, the battles, everybody talks about the battles as a plus and they do look nice. You get an epic feel for them, but they're pretty much all wrong. Waterloo is horrible. They spend more time with Waterloo than any other battle in the movie and it's so, so wrong and just the way they hop and skip through history they skip whole periods of time they don't they, so after he invades russia and in, in, in the retreat from russia you don't see anything until he abdicates it's huge chunks of time that you don't even understand why things are happening and why the importance of they do deal with politics a little bit which actually some of the best parts of the movie the politics of what was going on in europe and why some of the things were done for political reasons but i can't even say the I guess Vanessa Kirby was fine. I didn't find Joaquin Phoenix to be compelling because he wasn't charismatic and Napoleon was. You son, that's probably the biggest criticism of the movie is the fact that you see you, nothing in this movie would make you realize that Napoleon was so charismatic and that Napoleon was this reformer, this, this military and tactical genius that basically it took Europe like 15 to 20 years to catch up to what he was doing to be able to meet him on equal footing. That you don't get any of that in this movie. It looks nice. It's very, it's a very nice looking movie. 
I wasn't bored though. It's two thirty-eight, but again, I'm I'm the target audience for this movie, so I don't know if the average moviegoer would think this movie was exciting at all. And it, and it, and it was a caricature of Napoleon too. It wasn't really they they think it's like Joaquin Phoenix and most of the characters he plays these days. It's like you got to make them weird and awkward and things like that as and play up those those aspects. So. That's it. It's made a decent amount of money considering. I mean, I, I made more money domestically, certainly than I was what a guest originally it was going to make. And it's still doing well this week. So I guess that's a positive, but there, and I'll, I would be curious to see the four hour director's cut when that comes on. Not that I have Apple TV, but I'd be interested to see, but it also depends what that extra like hour and uh, 20 minutes, 25 minutes or so, what it actually adds. If it's more Napoleon than Josephine, then it's not going to make the movie better. You're so for punishment, Mark Marble. Is, like, so is this is this movie of a kind with like things that like uh like Titanic or Pearl Harbor, where it's like we're making a movie about history, kind of. Yes, yeah. It, it I mean, well, to put it to put it in perspective, headline from the New Yorker as of three hours ago: the French are not happy about Napoleon. From the in, from Insider, historians absolutely hate Ridley Scott Napoleon movie. And, and this and this and this is true because I've actually there's a bunch of YouTube channels that I actually am subscribed to, or some that I just watch frequent, even if I'm not. And I I watched a lot of reviews on this, and and and, and it's the truth. It's pretty damn consistent that people everybody's like, what did we just watch? It's like it's it's real. I mean, it's like they they skip over important things like it's like they come. They mention the Napoleon's Italian campaign, but they don't tell They don't show you anything. And that's kind of where Napoleon became Napoleon. Oh, Napoleon's in Egypt. They don't show tell you why Napoleon's in Egypt. They could even throw in something about, hey, you know, it was during Napoleon's time in, in Egypt when they discovered the Rosetta Stone. They could have thrown that in because that's historically accurate. It was an. It was an, an officer in, the, in Napoleon's army that discovered the Rosetta Stone while they were on a campaign there. So and, they, you know, they get everything wrong. And you know, the oh, the Battle of the Pyramids. So Napoleon's shooting cannons at the pyramids. It's like that's a myth that never happened because they didn't fight that close to the pyramids. There's just so it's like I get like, like the things that I mentioned that I that that I gave them credit for is because it would have been real easy not to, again, continue our characterization and like, oh, let's play up that he's short when he's when he's not. Let's play up that he's a warmonger, and, and and let's play up the fact that they didn't touch upon any of the reforms, like political reform, uh, like the Napoleonic Code. They did all the things that he helped modernize, uh, not just in France, but like I said, bring some of those uh, almost bringing any reforms that occurred in France. They were carried over into the, the French Empire. That you so. They didn't touch upon any of that, but they did do. But like I said, they did do some political stuff. They didn't give a great explanation for why it was time for why it was in the best interest of France and and Napoleon to become emperor after being first consul. Why they thought that from a political perspective, that might be better for France. Uh, But there were there's lots of things. It's like it's like you don't really understand when when. Napoleon and Tsar Alexander of Russia are meeting and they end up forming their alliance. You don't have the context of why they're meeting. And then you don't have any anything that happens in between to the to the breaking apart. They try to use the Napoleon's letter writing thing with to Josephine kind of as an as a brief, a lazy way narratively to explain things that are going on during these time periods. And they get they get. There are some things that are right. There are lots of things that are wrong. And then even the stuff that they kind of they. Stuff they zero in on like battle wise. They don't, it's not really an act, um, an accurate reflection 
on the battles. They really concentrate on Austerlitz, Borodino, and Waterloo. And Waterloo's the one that gets the most time. But again, it's and, and arguably Waterloo's the one they get the most wrong too. And it's not people who people who know history know that that you know they they just completely that's not even close to what you know. Watch the 1970 uh, Waterloo movie with Rod Steiger as Napoleon and Christopher Plummer as Wellington. That's still not 100% accurate, but that's a much better. But that will show you what, but what what the Waterloo campaign was essentially for the most part like compared to this thing when it's like, oh, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight these guys here at Waterloo, like when Fran, when Napoleon's still in France. It's like nobody knew they were fighting at Waterloo until the campaign was underway. It was a bunch of circumstances that led people there. Things like that. I know it's an oversimplification and there's little g- g- gimmicks that you do and, t- you know, to get to, to tell a story. I understand that. It's just that. And I told and Chad and I, we talked about this a long time ago, that this project always made me nervous just because there's too much stuff in Napoleon's life to fit into a one movie. And because Napoleon is as the, the romantic poets really like Napoleon, they kind of jumped. Some of them jumped off ship after he became emperor because it was a philosophical debate, which is still up in the air whether the French Revolution died when Napoleon was elected and then be, and crowned himself emperor, or whether that was the next evolution and in the next natural stage of the French Revolution. So some French, some romantic poets jumped off the Napoleonic bandwagon at that point. But Napoleon was, was your classic example of, as Lord Byron would, he was a, Bi, a Byronic hero. Everything that Napoleon did his successes, his failures, his his dreams, his goals, his achievements, everything was bigger than life. Kind of like loose, uh, Satan and Paradise Lost is considered a Byronic hero. That nothing is ever small in what they accomplish and or try to achieve and their success, their failures. It's all ridiculously above the scope of like of average people. So that so to do that and see a movie like this where it, it just I don't know it 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 was really really disappointing. Well, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of movies that uh, one of us is anticipating, uh, it looks like the, and according to um, Games Radar, new Godzilla movie earns perfect Rotten Tomatoes score with critics saying it's everything you could ever want from a monster movie. Minus one, eh? That's right. Uh, it is sitting at 100% on the international uh, on the international ratings uh there and uh yeah i'm 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 pretty i'm pretty happy uh, about that because i'm really looking forward to seeing it someone said so according to screen daily japanese produced godzilla film is a confident crowd pleaser which throttles recent hollywood remakes um i don't know surprising yeah i don't know if it throttles the monster verse that we've been given but i am still very 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 excited to see it um it does only have 27 reviews on rotten tomatoes so it is a perfect score still but it is only 27 reviews so far just have to say it's a good it's a great start Mm -hmm. but so but when will we be getting godzilla versus napoleon (laughs) (laughs) well i mean if you want to see napoleon do something cool he can take over san dimas uh in the 80s uh in (laughs) if godzilla showed up at waterloo no, I want to see Bill and Ted show up. They can go too. They in have world, a time in World War II Japan <laughs> to, to see Godzilla make landfall. That's what I want to see. <laughs> well, well, uh, Post World War II Japan, Chad. Yeah, that's Come right. Post World War II, yeah. But uh, I want. I do want to see it. In fact, if it was my choice, I would be seeing this tomorrow night. I was 
I acquiesced and we're gonna see Silent Night instead, but I don't know what comes out next week. So it's possible if there's nothing decent coming out next week that I that that will be the week for Godzilla minus one. Uh, Wait, is that on theaters here? Uh, yeah. Yes, on the first. Holy shit! Yeah, it's it's this week's release. Mm-hmm. Yep, so, yep, yep, yep. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. In terms of um, in terms of theaters that it's playing at near me, I'd have to. I don't think I uh, there's anything super close to me playing it. I'd have to go into Austin, and Austin has just gotten to be an absolute nightmare in terms of crowding. So um, I don't know that I'll be able to see it opening weekend. I, I, again, I really want to see it. Obviously it, I'm, I'm a hundred percent here for it, but yeah, I don't know about it, especially this close to the holiday season uh, and every theater that is showing it is next to a massive shopping center. I, I honestly don't know if I want to deal with those crowds. I may wait to see it like pick up some box office scores that push it into other showings at other theaters to see if it comes closer, to be honest with you. It's over two hours. Yeah, I know. Good. Not by much, but it's just, but it is, but it is over two hours. So that, that is cool. Yeah. Uh, Oh, it's in a big theater too. So Godzilla is a big monster. He's a big boy. He needs a big movie and a big theater to contain all of them. (laughs) He is. He's in one of our biggest theaters at a Regal. So, so I will, I will definitely push to go see this next week uh yeah i'm really stoked to see it whenever i do end up getting a chance to so that'll be fun and the other thing i wanted to touch on uh, because we mentioned it on a recent episode that it was coming out it is now out for those of you who are interested the green lantern kyle rayner rising compendium is now out um it was we were talking about amazon releases and uh i was unsure what the price would be over on in stock trades because you know they they don't let you pre-order you have to just you know kind of uh be there when it shows up. Um, so over on Amazon, it's regular price, 1599, uh, 59.99, but on in stock, on in stock trades right now, it's 34.79, uh, which is still a great deal and better than what Amazon's offering right now. Um, but if you picked up the compendium on in stock trades, when it dropped the day it dropped that Tuesday, which I did, I got it for 29.99. Not including nice. taxes and shipping. Um, so um, obviously they're not sponsors or anything like that. But uh, if you're looking for these higher price, like either Omnibuy or Compendiums or um, what are some other big ones that they've been releasing? Right, like Artist Editions, Absolute Editions, Absolutes, the Deluxe Editions, stuff like that. In stock trades is your thing. Look for it. You know, get an, a sense of when it's supposed to be dropping and just bookmark the page and check back for when it releases. Because, like I said, I got it for twenty nine ninety nine, um, and it's already thirty four seventy nine on in stock trades, which is still a great deal, but obviously not the day it dropped kind of a deal. Um, so clearly, it's worth your time to just bookmark it and be there when it drops uh, on on their website. So, uh, it hasn't arrived in the mail yet. It should be by the next time we record, but. Um, I'm excited to get that much, that much, that many pages of content for absolutely a great price. And um, I'm not trying to toot our own horn, but hey, in stock trades, if you do want to give us a uh, a sponsorship, the tweet I made directing people to go buy this thing from your website got 16,000 views. Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, 16,000.4 views, FYI. <laughs> so, you know. If if you want people, if you want to help us drive traffic to your website, I'm just saying. 
I, uh, to be honest, guys, I was almost considering screenshotting that tweet with the with the stat that says sixteen thousand views and emailing it to Instar Trades and being like, "Hope you guys got lots of great orders over the weekend." <laughs> Chad, the sponsorship. Chad, the sponsorship for. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at their website right now. I mentioned it before. Like one of my favorite Marvel series ever is the Captain Marvel series written by Peter David about the Janus Valve. Captain Marvel. Yeah. It was it's just recently been collected in its entirety into one gigantic omnibus hardcover. Sells for $150 everywhere. It's $93 on in stock trades. Yeah. See, there you go. A hundred percent. That's uh exactly. Uh not to mention, oh, so here another great deal. Uh the Green Lantern Corps, Tomasi and Gleason Omnibus, Volume One. $150 regular, regularly, $87 on in-stock trades. So, um, yeah, again, not a sponsor, but I'm telling you, if you want to just save yourself some money, guys, on some of these things you really want to see on your shelves, <laughs> check in-stock trades. <laughs> and, hey, it's the holiday season. Shouldn't you really treat yourself to a little something? That's right. You know, the and if you're buying for somebody else, you know, the Lantern cast has been on air for 15 years at this point. And if you really want to give back to the hosts of the show, I wouldn't mind a Green Lantern Corps omnibus. <laughs> so use promo code Mosaic Comics. To, what, uh, what are we doing? Where are we? Um, I did hear um, through some reviews, and this is, you know, this is neither here nor there. But supposedly, like the front cover is fine, where it says Kyle Rayner Rising Compendium. But supposedly on, on the spine. It's they misspelled compendium. It ends with an N instead of an M. Yeah, no, that's that's real. That's real. Yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. So a little let down in terms of quality control there. But they, they did something similar with the Kyle Rayner trades, too. Yeah, it's 2023. What the hell do you expect? You think you think anybody reads anymore? You think anybody, <laughs> you think, I mean, as we editing is a editing is a lost art. Like how many articles we see got, that end up on on websites that have friggin' words spe- spelled wrong in the headlines. And it's like, you would think somebody would at least look at the damn thing. Um, yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Oh, well. Oh, and um, just, it, that, I don't think there's anything in there right now. It's also worth it, worth it guys, just to bookmark in stock trades itself, because they have a clearance section, a damages section, and a red tag sale section. Three different kind of stages of potential discounts on top of what they already offer, which is already a big discount. So yes, red tag. I assume the book will in fact catch fire if you open it. Oh, <laughs> if we don't get sponsorship. Yeah, that's 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 true. <laughs> Mark is threatening to light your stock on fire. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I'm the one they have to worry about <laughs> coming Mark down is... the chim- chimney with a blowtorch. Chad. <laughs> Mark is that She-Hulk cover where she's threatening to burn your fanta- your X-Men comics unless you buy her book. Um. Oh, cool. The clearances section. So tomorrow's publishing, which usually does like the um the magazines like back issue and stuff like that. Every now and they have like a nice companion soft cover thing. There's like a, a Hawkman history one and stuff like that in their, in in stock trades, their clearance section, they have the tomorrow's comic book podcast companion soft cover, which was normally $16. It's for $3 and 18 cents right now. So that's kind of cool. That's a, that's a, I really enjoy the way tomorrow's put together their books. 
Chad's just shopping now. We should end the podcast. He is just shopping as I'm actually looking too at some of the stuff that's actually decently priced. But uh, it, yeah, it's pretty good. Like again, no no sponsorship, but it's in this, especially in this time of year, you're spending a lot of money. If any of it's going toward yourself or if you're getting comics for other people, yes, definitely in stock trades. All right, Dan, if people want to find your stuff and maybe watch a video about Alan Scott or something, uh, what, uh, what do they do? Well, Chad, I, f- <laughs> I have a feeling they could probably go over to to Mosaic Comics on YouTube, a channel all about analytical, in-depth video essays about comics, including, you know, Green Lantern and stuff. Most recently, I decided that with all of the new Golden Age stuff going on at DC, it would be a good time to take a look at All-American Comics number 16 and talk about the origin of Alan Scott in the first Green Lantern comic ever published back in 1940. Uh, the title of that video is Alan Scott's Origin, the first Green Lantern comic. And I don't know. I like it. Hopefully you will, too. And if you do, watch some more stuff. And if you still like it, consider subscribing because I'm going to keep making more just like it. And Mark, if they want to reach out to us. Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag Geocast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, no longer Stitcher, rest in peace. Podbean, that's, there you go, Chad, just for you. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I don't even have it written down. I just pulled it out of a certain part of my anatomy just for you for the moment. Uh, any platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or a text, 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. And next week... Next week will be Alan Scott. So if this episode's the, <laughs> so if this episode seemed a little even keel or maybe not enthusiastic in any or maybe enthusiastic is the wrong word. If it, if it seemed that very dispassionate at times, well, we'll come back next week. I'm sure that I'm sure that the, the, the mood will change dramatically next week. <laughs> Don't worry, everybody. I'll be here, so the episode will be good. <laughs> oh, the episode will would always be good, Dan. The, the in, in a way, the big mystery will well, maybe it's not a mystery, but maybe the the, the question will be if whether your thoughts have changed at all on issue two. <laughs> but don't don't give us a tease. But that's where the real question comes in. <laughs> good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. <laughs>